just going to take several moments in and praise him. Come on, let's lift our hands and lift our voices and give him great praise. There's already been a message that's been sang here this morning that gives him great and glorious praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be up here today without Jesus. In fact, I wouldn't be in this building today without Jesus. I wouldn't have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life without Jesus. Somebody lift your voice and clap your hand and give him great praise and glory. Wow. I am overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed with the feeling of God's presence, God's glory, and my absolute indebtedness to this God that we worship here today. I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment and absolutely extend a very sincere thanks and gratitude to our music director, this entire team, and this choir. That was nothing short of amazing. Merry Christmas and have a blessed miracle filled Holy Ghost led joyous celebratory New Year I'd like to direct your attention well probably kind of hard to read in the dark, isn't it? In fact, I saw him running in the dark and I thought, oh my goodness. This church loves to do this. But um, for the sake of your well-being and other people's safety, probably be good if we refrain from running in the dark. All of our visitors, we are so delighted that you are here. You know what? You're in the right place at the right time. You just are. You just are. You just are. One of the reasons why I think the enemy resists people is because this this environment that is impossible without God's people. And I'm not just talking about Cornerstone. There's other apostolic environments where there's a, there's a culture, there's an enculturation, there's a glory, there's a power. But you put all that together, and that equates resistance against people to get in this environment. That changes in look, changes outlook, 
Mm. I need to say a few things here this morning. John chapter 8 in verse number 12. To all of you that played a small part or a large part in making this service already at the caliber that it is, thank you. Our entire congregation, Cornerstone, thanks you for the sacrifices that you make to make it good. John chapter 8, verse number 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. But shall have the light of life. And for several moments here this afternoon, I want to talk about Jesus is the light of the world. Father, we love you. We praise you. I stand in awe an environment that is impossible to generate and create in the flesh. But I am in awe. Bless your people today. Bless our visitors. I pray that the word of God become a lamp under their feet and a light unto their path. In Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated. I don't remember when we stood that long, but man, after a while, it just didn't even matter. There's just so much glory. We know all of the familiar stories. I really don't know that it would be proper to say there's such a thing as a cliche in the Word of God because all Scripture is profitable at all times, in all places, to all people. But we've all heard the familiar Christmas story, even as a child, I remember a very fragmented, but nonetheless, some of it based in biblical reality about a birth and a manger and this baby boy. Even after coming in contact with truth, regardless of how much or how long you've been in or around the church, we are so familiar with the greatest story that has ever been told. After 400 silent years, and when I mean silent years, that may not make a big difference to the world that you and I are a part of in the 21st century, but God's people were blessed at the inception to hear from God, to get direction from God, to receive promises from God. 
between the book of Malachi, which was the last minor prophet, any prophet of the Old Testament, there was 400 silent years. No prophet, no preacher, no divine messenger, no voice. But breaking the century-old silence, there is an angelic visit to a priest by the name of Zacharias. And a promise to Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth that though stricken in years, aged in years, there was going to be the fulfillment of a promise in the Old Testament. And they were to name his son John. Zechariah, of course, you might be familiar with the story, did not believe it and asked how could this thing be. And he was immediately penalized for not basing his faith on an Old Testament principle that had already been established by Abraham and Sarah. And so he came out of the holy place not being able to utter a word, but Make no mistake about it, when the baby was born, his name was John. Immediately after this visitation, there was a time of preparation, and the exact time after Elizabeth had carried John for five months, that there is now an angelic visitation to a 14-year-old virgin by the name of Mary. The promise that she would be overshadowed by the Holy Ghost and that which would be born of her would be of the Holy Ghost and that they would call his name Jesus, mean Jehovah has become salvation. We're all familiar with this story. The more that we hear it, the nuances, maybe additional information, maybe some sociological uh, nuance that we've never been introduced to before when it's added to that story. It's a story that never gets old. But the birth of Jesus was a story in which the world would never be the same again. But there is another side to this story, and it's a side of the story that I would like to reveal to us today. And it begins in the book of John, John chapter number one. And I believe they're going to have this on the screen so you can follow along with me. But it begins in John chapter one and verse number one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You might be sitting here this morning saying, all right, I've heard that scripture before. It's an interesting passage of scripture, but what relevance does that have to the birth of Jesus? Verse number two, the same was in the beginning with God. Verse number three, all things were made by him, talking about the word, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse number four. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is no ordinary light. In fact, there's only two places in the entirety of Holy Writ that talk about two different kinds of light. One is found here in John chapter number one, and the other one is found in Genesis chapter number one. Let's go there very quickly. Genesis chapter number one, beginning in verse number one, familiar passage of scripture. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse two, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. Very quickly, the reason why this is so important in this context today is because darkness always precedes light. Darkness always precedes light. And here it is in the original record of creation that we have darkness No mention of light. You have void. The word void here means utterly empty. It was empty. It was devoid of all life. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. But verse number three, it changed right here. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is not the light of a sun. This is not the light of any type of cosmic representative of creation. Not the sun, not the moon, not a star, not a pulsar, not some great heavenly body. That was not until the third day of creation. The light that is spoken of right here is spiritual illumination. I'm glad that the lights are turned down over the congregation here this morning because it serves as a great illustration of where our world is today. A place that is devoid of life. A place that has no illumination. A place that has no comprehension. Because you have to understand that where there is spiritual light, There are particular qualities. There are particular qualities that come with natural light. And on day number three, when God said, let there be a greater light and a lesser light, and the greater light will rule the day, but the lesser light will rule the night. He was talking about the sun and the moon. But that is a physical light. And physical light has qualities just like spiritual illumination has. When you have natural light, you have genuine characteristics to this. There is intensity. That is a qualification or a characteristic of natural light. There is color. There is softness or brightness. There is direction, which which, um, it reveals an origination. It, it, It has a starting point. There is a texture to physical light. 
there is a coverage. There is an amount of light that can move into an area with, with varying degrees of illumination as it moves closer or further from the source, and that is movement. And so there are characteristic, characteristics to physical light, but supernatural light also has characteristics. As we see here, look at verse number four of Genesis chapter number one. Verse number four, Genesis chapter number one. You know what? Verse number three is good enough. And God saw that the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. What that means is, when you turn on a light, or even in this room here this afternoon, there are varying degrees of the illumination that's on me, that's on this platform, and it begins to diminish the further that you move into the audience until you're into a, an admixture of light where there is partial light and partial darkness. And if that, if that balcony didn't exist and we could continue to move out, it would come to the place that it's utter darkness. That is the exact same thing that took place with spiritual illumination. In John chapter number one, it has almost the exact description. If you go there very quickly and go to Genesis chapter number one, verses three and four, it says, and the darkness comprehended it not. What that means is, is that the further you move from the source, there becomes an admixture and a diminishing of that light. But the darkness could not stop the light. The light is in control. The light is in authority. The light, the light has a place of preeminence where it is dominating the darkness. It is ruling the darkness. It is governing the darkness. It's like saying, darkness, you ain't telling me what to do. I'm pushing you back, telling you what to do. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. Just like there are physical characteristics of light, there are spiritual characteristics of light. Light dispels and it repels darkness. How many of you remember that little nightlight in the bathroom when you were a kid? And I don't know what it is. I think it's just a natural fear of the darkness of a dark room and a dark house. And the mother puts a nightlight, a little nightlight in the bathroom so that the child is reassured. And then the devil begins to play with shadows. And then their mind begins to play with shadows. And then all of a sudden, shadows turn into monsters. Because the enemy has always sought to manipulate the darkness. But Jesus is the light of the world. The second spiritual characteristic of illumination is it fills all of the space available to it. The darker the night, the brighter the light. Number three, 
Illumination immediately provides direction, choice, and understanding. In fact, I'd like to add a nuance to that, that your understanding and comprehension is in direct proportion to the amount of illumination that's been provided for you. Which means if all you know to do is Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, that's all you need to do to flip the switch and understand I got a way out of here, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to do it. Another characteristic of spiritual illumination, light cannot be grasped or held, but it can be obtained. It cannot be physically manipulated. Number five, illumination can be everywhere. That means ubiquitous. It means omnipresent. It can be everywhere at once in the same degree. Number six, illumination is never exhausted by observation or usage. There is a meter on the side of every one of our homes that lets the power company know just how much power you're using so you can get a bill at the end of the month. But when you get filled with God's power and you get filled with God's illumination, you, it cannot be depleted. It cannot be exhausted. God's never going to run out of it. Jesus is the light of the world. Light reveals the source of its power. Jesus made this famous statement in our text here this afternoon that I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. What that means is, is that if you don't have Jesus and you're not following Jesus, then a logic, logical or theological deduction is that you are walking in darkness. We have an entire world in the 21st century with now it's shifting morals or no morals or no common sense or no operating on the word of God. And people are changing people's nature. They're making things law that are, are against the word of God. We're living in a world of darkness that is everywhere. It's intoxicating. It's smothering. But when you get the power of God... Jesus being the light of the world, now that light moves into you and I. Somebody give him praise right now. You may be convicted over what you're doing, but that conviction is a manifestation of the light that you already have. Once that conviction comes into a human being's life, not, cigarettes will never taste the same. A bar stool will never feel the same. Alcohol and drugs will never be experienced the same. They, it'll never be the same again because you have already now been in the light. You've already had uh, the illumination move on the inside of you. And that illumination, if it can begin to work in 
in you and work in me, then it will change us to where we get up in the light. We go to bed in the light. We have light on the job. We have light in the city. We have illumination everywhere. And we're seeing the things of God everywhere. Clap your hands and give him praise. Let's clap our hands and give God great praise. Let's start a blaze of glory around here that will burn the darkness and the admixture of gray and illumination can be furthered in this place. One of those reasons why as a pastor that I say, Cornerstone, we've got to have good church. That is not, someone says, well, I, I'm just not going to do it if I don't feel like it. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of times I don't feel like getting out of bed. <laughs> There's a lot of times you probably didn't feel like going to, to work. There's a lot of times you probably didn't feel like doing a lot of things. But you have to understand that when we have good church, the illumination is becoming stronger than the darkness that came into this building. And don't try to tell me that, you know, we're good people and we pay our taxes and my husband only drinks one beer a month and, and he only looks at porn once a year and, and we're not as bad as other people and we're not as bad as everybody thinks and da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, and you have to understand, when the illumination gets so strong in here, then the darkness of every individual that walks in this building, that darkness is already starting to get afraid because it, the rays of that, the human spirit is picking up on the power of the Holy Ghost and the human spirit is picking up on the power of praise and the, the human spirit is sensing maybe I can get free. Maybe there's liberation here. There is liberation calling out to you. It is light. It's illumination. It's not the darkness of what you think. It's not the darkness of the human mind, but it is the illumination of the power of God. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. If you have illumination, let's praise him. Jesus made this incredible statement in John 9 and 5. He was the only human being. Biblical commentators and archaeologists, paleontologists, supernatural sociologists, have come up with the figure that there were between 200 and 300 million human beings on the face of the planet at the time of Noah's flood. And there was only eight people. There was only one man that had a message. It's always come down in God's plan. It's always come down. It starts with one person. Abraham was the only man in a world that was filled with millions and millions and millions and millions of people. He was the only human being that had a promise from God. Not even Lot that hung out with him, but made very poor choices. He had heard about the promises, but he didn't have the relationship with God that Abraham had. 
Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, 12 tribes, several million people coming out of Egyptian bondage, all starting with one man. We know this from biblical record, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of those Jews that came out that saw the splitting of the Red Sea and saw it destroy their enemies. There were a lot of them that didn't want to leave Egypt after they got out there. They wanted to return because they didn't comprehend what God was doing. God was starting with one man and then, and then one, one group of people. And Deuteronomy chapter number seven states, God saying, I, I, I chose you because you were the fewest among all people, not the greatest not the greatest, not the most voluminous, not the most populated, not, not the highest intellect, not, not like Egypt and not Babylon, but one man and one group of people. Because he said, I have a plan that through that group of people, I'm going to bring about, I myself am going to come as a man and the one light the one light, Jesus was the only creature in the universe that possessed that light. But he said, as long as I am in the world, John chapter nine and verse number five, I am the light of the world. And so you have to understand, we're acquainted with the biblical story of a virgin and a manger and the beauty of it, the symmetry of it, and the, and the, and the passion of this. But let's step back and see where God was bringing into a very, very dark place one light. One light. that would potentially change the world. Jesus submitted himself unto death. He was buried in a tomb, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. Between 40 and 50 days, there was no light But he said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Light, illumination, understanding. You can see. This is why you can be in the same room with two people that claim to be Christians and one f overflowing with the power of the Holy Ghost. It's not a wives' tale. It's not some Jewish fable. It's not some little religious little, little deal because people are, are, need, need some emotional crutch and people that couldn't handle some kind of intellectualized denominationalism have to have, to have some kind of emotionalism to get through life. No, no, no. A thousand times no. You've got to understand that this witness is a witness to the light, that there is illumination in the world and Jesus said you shall receive power 
after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Just for a few seconds here, if we've got the power, let's turn on the lights. Let's lift our hands and let's give him praise. We are a prophesied group of people, not just this church. They're all over the world by the millions and millions, but we've been divinely placed. When there's, when there's oblique, impenetrable darkness, gross darkness, not just darkness that is spiritual, but gross darkness means it's a darkness that can be felt. It comes in as depression. It comes in as fear. It comes in as shame. It comes in and it'll bind people. It'll bind people and keep them in the darkness. But I've come into this place today to tell you that there is illumination in here. Jesus was the light of the world, and that light is in the world today. That light is in this place today. That light is in this house. This light is in my soul. This light is in you. Clap your hands and give him great prayer. I refuse to let the world turn it off. I refuse to let this world put it out. I refuse to let the darkness manipulate the light. Come on, clap your hands and give him great praise. Great praise. Great praise. I've seen things I've never seen before. I've seen things I can't explain to you. I understand things that are from another world because it comes from the light. But now, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 says, We are the light of the world. Come on, Brother Chris. Sister Mayo and I were sent here 30 years ago. Then there was a few more. Elder Sergeant, then there was a few more. Come here, Brother Josh. Then there was a few more. Pastor, I've got a co-worker that's interested, but he, he's not interested in religion. That's okay. Reveal the light. Let's. Then a few more, Brother Porter. Then a few more, another building. Two buildings, three buildings, four buildings. You're in building number five. If you're visiting with us today. It all started because Jesus was the light of the world. False doctrine, false gods. False perceptions, regardless of how much intellectualism, regardless of how much education, regardless of human influence, regardless of how much money, regardless of where people are from, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of the content of their character, regardless of what kind of sins they're involved in, 
It all started with one man that was the light of the world. If you have your candle lit, once you get your candle lit, would you stand with us? Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 14 says this. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. This was God's dream. That in the birth of Jesus, in the death, burial, and resurrection, that there would be many lights with much illumination, with much hope, If it's possible, holding the candle in one hand, why don't we lift our other hand and give praise to God? Ye are the light of the world. Let's sing a song.